invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 120. Psalm 120. For the rest of the summer through Labor Day, we are going to be back in the Psalms as we were last year. Uh, but this, this year we're going to have a specific focus on a group of Psalms. Uh, if you are in Psalm 120, I want you to notice the subtitle of that Psalm as well as many of the Psalms following that. Uh, notice, uh, my, the first title I have is Deliver Me, O Lord. But I want you to pay attention to that next title of Psalm 120. It says, A Song of Ascents. A song of ascents. Now, these particular psalms, there's 15 of them. Uh, they were sang during the trip that the people would make back to Jerusalem, celebrating certain uh, uh, processional celebrations, certain festivals. And these three festivals were, uh, were the Passover that they celebrated in the spring, Pentecost in early summer, and tabernacles in the fall. So these songs were sung by the Israelites, God's chosen people, as they made their way to the temple for these celebrations. And, and there's sort of an acceleration that we see here. There's a transition from like, man, I can't wait to get in the house of the Lord, or, or the struggles of living away from God's house, and this desire to go and worship the king in Jerusalem in the temple. Now, as, as we go through this together, I want us to anticipate, you know, they, they longed to be at the temple together. And one day, we will be in the presence of our Savior. And so, that's the anticipation that I want us to have as we draw near to the day when we will gather in his holy presence. And so, let's jump into Psalm 120 as we begin looking at these songs of ascent. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement this morning of being reminded, Lord, that we have tasted and seen that you are good. So God, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us glorify your name as we lift high your word as truth for our souls. Truth that the world so desperately needs to hear. God, I pray that you would encourage us this morning. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would draw us near to you. Remind us of where our help comes from. Lord, we desperately need you, and I trust we're two or, two or more gathered in your name. You are surely with us, and so, Lord, meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First of all, as, you, as we look at the psalm, it's clearly not one of the, the happiest ones out there. There's a, a sense of lament that's going on here, and, and we can sort of hear, and we can, we can feel what the psalmist is longing for. He, he, he's desiring to be in a place of, 
of peace. And yet, he finds himself in this place full of lies and deceit. And what we see here in the beginning is the psalmist is making a call for deliverance. So as we begin our ascent to the temple, let's break the psalm down. I've entitled this psalm, this message, My Deliverer in My Distress. My Deliverer in My Distress. And here's the first thing that we see. The Lord hears the cries of his people. The Lord hears the cry of his people. Look again at, at verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. So here we see the psalmist. He's, he's recalling the faithfulness of God in the past. We see a, a similar phrase, this, this, this call of distress. I called to the Lord, and he answered me in a, a few other psalms. In Psalm 3, in Psalm 18, chapter 22, chapter 66, chapter 118, the reality is for us as believers, the encouragement for us is that God always answers those of his people who reach out in times of distress. So times of distress are, are when we are facing calamity or, or trouble or unfavorable circumstances. And then we have to ask ourselves as well, too, what does it mean that the Lord answers our calls, that he answers our cries our prayers, it doesn't just mean that he hears them or he was in the proximity. And he, you ever have that where, like, you hear something, but you're not really paying attention? That this is not the way the Lord is. When he answers us, he not only hears our prayer, but he acts on them. You know, God's not like the person that maybe you have this person in your life where they have a cell phone, but you can never get a hold of them. Like, they never have their phone on. On them, And if they do, they have it on silence, and so they miss the ringer. I, I've seen this meme going around of, of, like, the husband being sent to the store and trying to call the wife multiple times, but she's got it on silence, and so he brings home all the wrong stuff because he had forgotten it all. Or, or you know, the person who, whose phone is always dead, like it's never working. You're like, why do we even have a phone? Why are we paying for this because it's never on because you always run the battery out? Here's the good news. God doesn't operate that way. God never has bad reception. He's always available and he loves to hear from his children. God is always available to us. This, this brings up something very crucial in our walk with Christ. What do we know to be true of God? What have we experienced with him. For here, this psalmist, he's experienced, he's recalling God's faithfulness in the past. He is then going to him based on what he knows about God. What do you know about him? What have you experienced with him? Do you, do you see God as your deliverer? Do you understand that running to him with our distress is his expertise? We must know who our God is. Think of it from this perspective. This, this past week, uh, one of our cars came down with a flat tire. And so immediately, when I say flat tire, some of you are probably thinking right now, like, who do you go to? Who, who do you run to? For me, there's a certain place that our family has gone to over and over and over again. Why? They've proved themselves faithful. 
When we've had, we've had tires that have actually run down too quickly and we've gotten money back when we've bought a new set of tires because they should have lasted longer than they did. They've stood up to their word. This flat tire that we brought in, it was unrepairable. And so what they did is they replaced that tire for free. They, they have earned our trust. They have always been faithful with whatever needs arise. And so we're going to continually go to them to take our tire issues to them. The same thing should be true for us as believers. God has never failed us. God is the expert of taking our trials and helping us through them to, to point us in the right direction. When it comes to distress, what greater expert is there than the sovereign ruler of the universe? And when someone has a reputation of always delivering what's needed, when the need arises, you immediately call to mind where to go. So he's remembered the faithfulness of old, and now he finds himself in a place where he needs help. So what is he doing? He is going back to the Lord. He's declared who he has been, and in light of who he has been, he feels comfortable. I can bring my current need. Verse 2, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips. From a deceitful tongue. We saw this in, in Ephesians, the importance of truth. It is a deep challenge to live in a world full of lying tongues and deceitfulness, don't you think? Have you, have you ever been around someone whom you can't trust? I mean, that, that is... When somebody breaks your trust or somebody you just can't trust in, that relationship can't last, can it? Like it just can't thrive if it's based on a bunch of deceit and you just can't trust anything that person says. Like it is so vital for us that we have truth to run to. In a culture that says there is no truth, we know that God is truth and he's given us his word. To be honest, I, I feel... Like, I can't trust anything that the news says today. It doesn't matter what side of the coin that you fall on. I don't trust either side. It, it seems like everybody goes to one extreme or the other. And, and, if they, it, and, and we, tend to, we tend to go with those whom we liked. We, we, we like to hear the messages we like to hear, and, and we know who's going to deliver that. And so we tend to find ourselves kind of leaning towards that direction. But... As, as I've observed, it's like, I don't, I don't really feel like anybody's being honest here. I mean, think of, think of the time during COVID. And, and again, wherever you find yourself on the COVID spectrum, do you remember, like, hearing a different truth every week? Like, one week they were saying one thing, another week they were saying one thing. I don't remember this, but there was a time where people were, they were actually suggesting for you to wear goggles to cover your eyes because somehow the COVID could get through your eyelids and and it was like, like, what do you believe about, what are we supposed to believe about COVID? In, in a world that is full of deceit and in a world that is full of people who are trying to speak lies to us and throw us under the bus, oh, how we need to remember the one whom we can run to, our deliverer, the Lord. Perhaps this author is dealing with a similar situation. He doesn't know who he can run to who he can trust. We're going to read later. He's far from home. He's, he's not where he knows he belongs. He's in a foreign land. Who can he trust? And the Lord is the one that he runs to. 
let me ask you, where do you turn when you are faced with, with stress, with troubles? As we look at our world, there are so many gods out there that we've created. A struggle that I have from time to time is running to the comfort of food, thinking somehow sugar will take care of the stress that I'm dealing with, and really, doesn't it just create more problems for us? And we stuff ourselves with food, and, and we create more issues than we had beforehand. I, I've seen many people as well run to different forms of sexual immorality, whether it be pornography or, or sex, and we're, we're looking for fulfillment in these things. I see people run to relationship thinking, man, if I just had a boyfriend or if I just had a girlfriend, if I just got married, my spouse would make me happy. All my troubles would go away. Some people even put themselves into work to escape the family because the family is the one that's bringing them stress. And so I'm just going to say I got to work hard. I got to do all these. I got to put all this time in. This is what the job is asking me to do. And meanwhile, it's just, a, it's just an escape from the, from the troubles of our lives. I've seen people bury themselves into their family. Especially, I've seen this amongst mothers who look to their kids to provide what only Christ can. Kids will never satisfy the need, and so they do everything they can for this child, and meanwhile, that child just doesn't deliver. Some escape to different forms of entertainment, sports, movies, TV shows. Books. You know, when I, when I grew up, we didn't have all these things at our fingertips. I mean, all of those things. You can, you can movies right now. You, all these different platforms that you can, you, can just screw, you can just watch a movie right there where you're at. TV shows where you can binge watch a whole season now in one sitting. When I grew up, we didn't do that. You watched a show, and then you had to wait till the next week. I know for some of you young people, you're like, wow, that is amazing. Or awful is probably what you're saying. And yet we, we have found ourselves like even okay with doing that and bragging, oh yeah, I watched all of season three and whatever show. And, and really what of it, a lot of it, what we're doing is we're trying to escape the trials of life. We're trying to find comfort in something that just doesn't deliver. None of these things bring relief like the Lord can. And the more we run to false gods, the more tempted we are to run to them in the future. We develop these habits. And so we find ourselves, have you ever found yourself just like scrolling through your phone? And like, you're, you're, like we've got to the place in, in where we're waiting in line for a restaurant. We're waiting in line at the grocery store. And instead of like, Lord, provide a gospel opportunity, often I find myself just scrolling, just looking down in my screen like we we've developed these habits and we for, we're forgetting about the world around us we're we're no longer seeking the god of all comforts this author author was was facing hard times but his instinct was to remember god's faithfulness in the past and then to run to him brothers and sisters how how, how quickly are you running to god in your times of trials? How quickly are you running to the comfort of his word? I don't, maybe you're like me, but the Psalms are something I run to on a regular basis. It brings so much comfort to, to hear about the faithfulness of God. And I want you to just 
turn your eyes to Psalm 121. We're not going to preach this next week. We're going to skip this one because we actually went through this last week. But I, I want you to look at the comfort from Psalm 121. Somebody shared with this with me years ago. And you ever, you ever like, if you've read through the Bible, I've read through the Bible a couple, like many times. But have you ever had somebody bring a psalm or bring a set of scriptures to you and you feel like you've seen it for the first time? Like this, this was, I remember where I was at when somebody shared Psalm 121 with me. Let me just read through, through this together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So when I read that, I, I picture the psalmist just looking at the mountain of trouble in front of them. And they're like, where's my help going to come from? How am I ever going to get over this? And he tells himself, my help comes from the Lord. This is not some man-made Lord. This is not something they've made up in their own creation. He didn't, he didn't just say Lord. He was reminding them who their Lord is. Look, he is the creator of heaven and earth. He is trustworthy. He created all of this. He knows what's going on. He understands the pain and suffering that I'm going through. He created it. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Think about that. God doesn't need a power nap. God doesn't need to recharge at night. He is ever-present help in time of need. He's always there. He's never distracted by something else. I've heard people say that, like, well, I don't want to bring my troubles to God. He's got other things to worry about. Guess what? He's God. He's able to deal with all of us at the same time. That should blow our minds. This is the God who loves his people. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. How many of you dealing with, with uh, sunburn today in light of the heat we've experiencing? What a, what a picture that is for us to understand that like God is the shade for us. God is the comfort. We had a baseball game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, probably the worst time ever to have a baseball game uh, on, in, the, in the summer. And yet we were under the shade of this overhang. And it felt so, it just felt so, so good. And it reminds me of this passage. God is so good. He is, he is comforting us from the rays of the world. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, in a world that wants to spread lies, ground yourself in the truth of God's word. Don't let the world tell you what God is like. Let God's word and let his spirit speak to you through that. So let me ask you, do you run to the Lord with your struggles? Is his word what comforts you in your afflictions? The Lord hears the cries of his people. Look at verse 3. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Here's what we see in these verses. The Lord will not allow liars to go unpunished. The Lord will not allow liars to go unpunished. Living in a world full of sin can be so frustrating. We try to have conversations, like civil conversations. They're almost out the door, even, even with believers sometimes, like especially social media. Like, like you can't have like a, a civil conversation. And God is under attack everywhere we turn. 
Even this week, I found myself in tears over the brokenness that we see in the world. June 1st was the beginning of Pride Month, where we flat out celebrate what Christians understand to be blasphemous. And when Christians try to, when Christians confront the sin of culture, we're called bigots and haters. When what's less hating than refusing to call the sins out of people who are on their way to hell? Have you ever found yourself just crying out, come Lord Jesus? Perhaps people of the world who are spreading lies about you, trying to get you canceled. We can find great great comfort in verse 3. He asked himself, what is the outcome of you, deceitful tongue? And in verse 4, he answers his own question. God is going to do away with all of them. Every lie he is going to take care of. What's the... What's going to happen? What's the deceitful tongue going to be given to? It's going to be given to a warrior's sharp arrows. You think about somebody who is trained for war. Somebody is trained for battle. When it comes to his tools, his weapons, don't you think somebody who's been formally trained, he's going to do everything he can to have the sharpest arrows, to have the straightest arrows. He's not going to Walmart and just picking one off the shelf. He is is designing this to to work perfectly to take out the target for which it is aiming. This is what God will do to the deceitful tongue. Notice the second part. Not only will they face the warrior's sharp arrows, but they will face the glowing coals of the broom tree. A broom tree was known for when it burns down, it's, it's long-lasting and it burns hot. That is what is going to come about for the deceitful tongue. God will have the last word for the wicked. Just consider what Revelation 21 verse 8 says. But as for the cowardly the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Brothers and sisters in Christ, find great comfort in knowing justice rules in God's kingdom. Sin will be paid for either by the cross or by the unbeliever. I think this Understanding, though, leaves us in, in sort of a, a precarious position. I mean, how do we respond to deceitfulness in the world? How should, what should our heart be towards those who are proclaiming lies? To be honest, this has been a growing burden for my own soul. And, and, and far too often, I, I'm looking for God to bring judgment down today. I mean, think about that. How often when you think about those whom you want to have a great fall, how often are you thinking about their eternity and what lies before them? And then how quickly are you remembering that you had the same fate apart from Christ, that you were born separated from him? So we have to be careful that we're, we're not just looking for the damnation of those who, have, who are sinners, who are spreading lies, who are believing the lies of the world. As we talked about last week, The battle is not against flesh and blood. 
The battle ultimately is not against people, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil who are blinding the eyes of unbelievers. So, so let me ask you, when you encounter the unbeliever, when you encounter the foolishness of the world, is your heart broken? I, I think even of our Lord Jesus, who, thinking about the Pharisees, whom he flat out called out, right? But then do you remember, he's like, oh, how, how would have longed to gather you under my wing? Jesus didn't just call for them to, to face judgment. He, his, his desire, he, he, he wished that they would have come under, that they would have su submitted to the lordship of Christ. I wonder how many Christians would rather see judgment reign on the, the liar versus forgiveness and repentance being granted to them. Make no mistake, the Lord will not allow liars to go unpunished. They will either be covered by the blood of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross or the person will have to pay for his own sin. Take heart, believer. The Lord sees you where you are at. Here's the last thing. Look at verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn to Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Here's the last thing. We weren't meant to feel at home on earth. We weren't meant to feel at home on earth. Now in verse 5, I don't, I don't believe the author is saying that he's lived in both Meshech and among the tents of Kedar. Let me just give you a little... little uh, geography here. Uh, Meshech is located well to the northeast of Israel, the far northern mountains. Kedar is located well to the southeast of Israel in the deep uh, Arabian desert. Th these places weren't close. I mean, what he was just communicating uh, to the reader is that, look, I'm so far away from home. Like, I know I don't belong here. I'm just a sojourner passing through, and I'm longing for the peace that I have with Christ, and I want the people who I'm with to experience the peace of God as well. Notice he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't hinder him. He doesn't stop preaching the peace that he has. He doesn't remain quiet because of the people around him, because of what they say. He speaks peace and they respond with war. They're gonna, they, they reject him, but it doesn't keep him from saying what he needs to say. He understands he's not home. But he knows the peace that he has at home. And despite how those around us are living, we should still strive for peace, even in our world today. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We see this understanding of Paul and how we are to live in the world that we live in, even despite the chaos around us. Romans 12, starting in verse 18. As if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's kind of what we talked about the last point of the, the fact that God's going God's to bring judgment to the deceitful tongue. Either through the blood of Christ on the cross or through the payment of the unbeliever. Leave vengeance up to God. 
Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on the head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, we've got to understand, believers, we play by the, a different set of rules in the world. We live life differently. We strive for and we seek peace. The world thrives on chaos. So we should expect whenever we decide to stand for the things of God, you are going to face opposition. But don't let your heart lose the burden that you have for the people. That's why missionaries often when they go over to other countries, they're not just preaching the gospel. They're also looking for needs to meet as well. And so Jesus is the greater need. You need water, but Jesus is greater than the water that we are providing for you. We still, we still look as, as much as is up to us to provide peace. Now, remember, it's not just peace relationally, but we long for others to experience the peace with God that we have experienced through his son, Jesus. This world is not our home. This is not heaven that we live in. Amen? For believers, this is the this is the closest to hell we'll ever get. This is not the Garden of Eden pre-sin where there was perfect unity with one another. You know, far too often I see Christians who are trying to make their home here. They are trying to belong. I see parents who say that they want to give their kids a better life than they had. And really, I see this in the church, and really what they mean is they want to give them more stuff. Stuff is not going to make your kids happy. It's only going to make them more stubborn. We try to create safe spaces for us to, to have fun and live an easy life. Now listen, as a believer, as a parent of five kids, there are certain things where I will unashamedly protect my kids and shelter them from the things of this world. But I, I'm not going to take them out of the world. It's impossible we still, they are still exposed to the things of this world. They go to a Christian school. Guess what? Not everybody at a Christian school is a Christian. Might be worse than what you find in public schools from time to time of just putting on this facade of I've got it all together. But the reality, the reality is we are not home. And if, if we find ourselves at home here, there are two reasons why that's the case and neither one of them are good. Perhaps one thing that you have done is you've just surrounded yourself with believers. You've kept from being around unbelievers. You've done everything you can to, to keep yourself from interacting with those of the world. And really what you've decided to do is like, I'm not going to live on mission. I'm not going to fulfill the great commission and make disciples of all people. I'm going to make my country club over here, which is what I, I see so many Christians wanting to make. Or we look so like the world, we are so full of sin that we fit right in. We come to church on Sunday and we put on the mask and everything looks good, but Monday through Saturday, we're living a completely different life. Guess what? Satan doesn't really care about you because you are fulfilling exactly what he wants you to do. You are helping advance his kingdom because when you're proclaiming that you're a Christian and your life looks totally different than the life of Christ, then people are going to laugh at you. And they're going to say, I don't need Jesus. And you're actually helping propel people away from Christ. 
Jesus kind of spoke of this reality, too, that we are not home. Turn with me to John chapter 17. We, we are not home. This is, we should not expect for life to be a Sunday school picnic. John 17, starting in verse 14, let me read it for us. It says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Listen, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when you turn on the news and Christians are being bashed. The world hates us because we love God. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So you can't escape the evil around you. If you go to a grocery store, you're going to see almost pornographic pictures right there on the stands as you go to check out. You, you can't avoid it. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do we guard ourselves? We guard it by the word of God. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Brothers and sisters, we weren't meant to find contentment here. There should be this sort of holy discontentment of the life that we're around. We should feel uncomfortable. We should long. If, if we never say, come Lord Jesus, then perhaps our eyes are blinded by the enemy to see the mess around us. We are just passing through. But as much as we can, we strive for peace. Just don't be surprised. Actually expect to receive pushback. As Christians, I believe it is absolutely vital that we live with a heavenly mindset. That our mindset is on glory and what is to come, realizing that this will not satisfy here on earth. Instead of looking to build your kingdom on earth, we look forward to an eternity with God that awaits us in the future. This allows us to endure when troubles come upon us, when lying, deceitful tongues attack us. We expect it because if the world hated Jesus, then it's going to hate us. And we don't need to find fulfillment on earth and acceptance from the world. Our security is in Christ. Paul was a just brilliant in understanding this heavenly mindset. He said this in 2 Corinthians 4. Of course, we got to give the Spirit the most credit there. God at work in Paul. We read this. So we do not lose hearts. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me remind you, this was written by the Apostle Paul. And in case you want to say, well, he doesn't know what I've suffered. <laughs> Listen to the rap sheet of what Paul endured. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten multiple times, receiving the 39 lashes. He was bitten by a snake. Multiple imprisonments. And yet, how many of you have that on your record? Like, yep, I've suffered all those things. And yet, what does Paul call them? He calls them light, momentary 
afflictions. If I'm honest and I'm speaking for myself here, I think Christians can be such wimps. We get called a name and we want to cower in the corner. Listen, we have not been given a spirit of fear. The world is on its way to hell and we have the gift of the gospel that has been given us in order for us to share with those who are dying and perishing. They're going to reject you. But along the way, God might allow you to help someone find the peace of God. But are you even prepared for that? Or are you too busy looking to make peace with your own life and what you're doing? So as we close here, let's just consider once again the psalmist's response here. First, he called, recalled the faithfulness of God. Remember what God has done for you. He's always been faithful. God is an expert in how to confront distress in your life. He's the one you can turn to. So let me ask you in light of that, what do you need to turn over to the Lord today? What distress are you holding on to that you are running to other things to find comfort, that this morning you need to lay it down at the feet of Christ. Let me encourage you, lay it down this morning. Call on him. He loves to hear from his people. And don't worry about those who are causing trouble for you. Entrust them to your sovereign creator. Pray for their repentance and trust God that he will have his way in the end. And remember, beloved, this is not our home. We're just passing through. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The words from our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. I thank you that we can call on you and you answer us, Lord. You don't just hear us. You don't just put in a good word. You don't just feel sorry for us, Lord. You take action. And Father, you've given us our world, uh, your word as a great comfort for our souls. And so God, so often we, we want help and we want answers, but we don't go to the answers that you've given us. We, we don't go to the hope that you've given us in your word. Make us students of your word, Lord, that we would run to you Lord, that, that that trigger, those triggers in our life uh, that, that would lead us to, to look for something to find comfort. God, may you be what we run to first. God, help us to taste and see that you are good. Expose, Lord, any idols this morning that we may be running to to find comfort in our distress. God, protect us. Lead us to repentance if that's what, what needs to happen. But Lord... Remind us of the great comfort that we have in you. Remind us that you are sovereign over all things, that you are the maker of heaven and earth. God, remind us that we, we don't belong here. We're not home. And so this, this uneasy feeling that we have is natural because this world is passing away. And Lord, these momentary light afflictions aren't worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory. That awaits us. Keep us heavenly minded, Lord. 
we live this life, I pray that our lights would shine bright, that others would see Christ in us. Lord, help us. So often we look more like the world, but I thank you for your grace and mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that we can call out to you and you answer us. And it's in your holy name we pray.